0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: As a believer, we need to continually be seeking the Holy Spirit to guide us in making these right choices. We need choices in our life. We need to make the choices in our life that are going to honor God in our lives and that are going to declare His reality to the rest of the world that's around us that are still in the futility of their minds, that are still wandering in darkness, separated totally from any understanding of who God is.
0: Paul likens our walk with Christ as dancing and walking. A good dancer mimics the moves of their partner and they flow gracefully together. As for walking, we used to walk in our dead trespasses, but we were created for good works, and we are to walk in them. We're to no longer walk in the futility of our minds. We're to walk carefully and diligently. We're to imitate God and walk rightly, because our walk is watched by those who are lost. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 1, with part 1 of our message entitled, Dancing with the Father.
1: In chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul begins with that word, therefore. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He says, be imitators of God. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty tough for me. To be an imitator of God, how in the world can we in our humanity, in our our mortal carcass and and the limitations of all that we have, how can we imitate God? The phrase be imitators actually comes from a Greek word, uh, mimetes. And then as I looked at that word, it's just so interesting. Memetase it means to follow, but it's not a following from a a distance. It more directly speaks of like a student following the steps of a dance instructor. In other words, they would move and you would move. They would shift over here, you would shift over here. But this whole idea of is is this following the steps of the teacher, step by step, move by move, And it's where we get the word to mimic, to mimic someone. They say that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. But think of it more as a child, learning how to dance by placing their feet on on the father's feet as he dances. Perhaps some of you have done that with your smaller children, that, that you would take them and let them stand on your feet and as you move to the right or move to the left, their feet would follow you as you dance. This is the concept, this is the idea that I see in this whole idea of imitating God, that again, we follow close to his steps, step by step, move by move. Earlier, Paul had written to the church in Corinth, and he told the church in Corinth to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And This isn't a boasting, it's not a bragging on Paul's part. He's sincerely telling the body of believers that you could look at him to see how a Christian life ought to be led. And Paul wasn't perfect by any means, and I I believe Paul would be the first one to admit he's not perfect. But there was in him this great desire. To mimic the lifestyle of Christ, to literally to dance with the Father. And in that move, to know the closeness and the intimacy of it all. The writer of Hebrews cautions the believers to, to show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope all the way until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate Those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the writer of Hebrews says, look around you. Look around at the churches that you're in. Look around at the church that's gone before you. Look around at fellow believers who themselves are following after Christ. You want to know how to follow Christ. You want to know how to be an imitator of God. Look at mature believers around you. Look at those who could serve as mentors for you and encouragers to you in your walk in the Word, in your walk for the Lord. So we look around, we look around at each other, and we look and we we hope to find those in their maturity are gaining in their closeness, gaining in their intimacy, gaining in their obedience to the things of the Lord. Someone has said that Christianity is an initial decision followed by a lifestyle of discipline, that we make this one decision, but, beloved, once we make that decision, we are called into living a life of discipline within the choices that we make, the ways that we move. Many times the choices that we need to make for the things of Christ, they're they're difficult choices, and most of the time they're, they're choices that we wouldn't make on our own. Because on our own, in the flesh, we wouldn't choose to to refrain or restrain ourselves from any areas. In the flesh, we wouldn't choose to purposefully do necessarily the right thing that may cost us in, in time or in, in our own resources to do those things. But as we choose to follow the Lord many times, He calls for us to do those very things. As a matter of fact, Jesus continually said, If you're not willing... If you're not willing to take up the cross and follow me, then don't even begin the journey. And that taking up the cross isn't just a nice fine piece of jewelry that we'd wear around our neck. No, it is an instrument of, of execution. It's an instrument of death. Unless you're willing to die of self to follow me, then don't worry about starting the journey. Because that's what the Christian life is about, dying to self in order that Christ might live through us. As dear children, he says, as dear children, we need to continually take the time, take the discipline to look and understand how the Lord would have us deal with the situations of our lives. As dear children, we need to be reading. We need to be understanding the Word of God and what it says about how we should live our lives. As dear children, we need to be seeking the mind and the heart of God on issues of life. As dear children, we need to be dancing with the Father. It's only then that we're able to effectively mimic or imitate the steps of our Father. Only then are we able to truly dance with him. In verse 2 of chapter 5, the first directive that Paul gives us in this dance is to walk in love. He says, "And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Throughout the word, the Christian life is declared or described in a multitude of ways. It's called to running of a race and fighting the fight of being a good soldier, of standing firm, of patiently enduring, of walking in Him. All of these things describing again our life. In Christ, and Paul uses this idea, this thought of walking all throughout the book of ephesians and it's a great descriptor of the Christian faith, particularly when you realize how much people walked in the time of Paul. That was, that was, that was the primary means of transportation. You and I today, come on, you gotta fess up to it. If we gotta go to the store and the store is like half a mile away, guess what? We'll get in the car and drive over there and then drive back, won't we? I mean, that's just kind of the process of who we are. But, but not in Paul's day. In Paul's day, for the most part, people walked everywhere. Walking was a necessary part of life. It was a part of the very process of life. And here in Ephesians, Paul uses the idea of walking to help us to understand the very process of the Christian life. First, he tells us, how we used to walk, and we could go back into uh, the earlier chapters here of Ephesians. And in chapter 2, he says, this is how you once walked. You, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. That's how we used to walk outside of Christ. And then he tells us still in chapter 2 why we need to change our old walk now that we've come to Christ. In chapter 2, verse 10, a very familiar verse, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God had planned and purpose for us to walk that way. Then in chapter 4, he tells us how we need to be walking. In chapter 4, verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Let me stop right here and to help you to understand, because really and truly, for us to understand that concept of walking as the Gentiles walk, you need to understand the mindset of the first century. For the Jew, there were two kinds of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. Okay, And uh, the Gentiles were outside of the household of faith, outside of the commonwealth of God, outside of the hope and the promises. For the Romans, there were two kinds of people. There were the Romans and there were the pagans. Anybody who wasn't a Roman and, and worshipped the Roman gods, they were they were pagans as far as Rome was concerned. But now here is as, as the New Testament has begun, as Christ has come in, as the Church has been birthed, Paul also understands that there's two type of people. They're the saved and the lost. You are either saved under the blood and the promises and the hope of Jesus Christ, or you are lost and outside of those promises. And Paul uses this word Gentiles here as being those who are still outside of the household of faith. So when he says, no longer walk like the rest of the Gentiles, understand he was speaking to those who, of their background, of their heritage, We're very possibly Gentiles much more than Jews, just as probably as I look out in the group this morning. Most of you are probably Gentile of heritage. In other words, you don't have a Jewish heritage behind you. And he says, don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles. And the rest of the Gentiles are those who are outside of the faith of Jesus Christ. Here now in chapter 5, he gives us three particular ways in which we walk. First of all, in verse 2, what does he say there? He says, walk in love. Down in verse 8 of chapter 5, he tells us to walk as children of light. In verse 15, he says, see then that you walk circumspectfully circumspectfully, again, is a great word. You've probably used it multiple times already this morning in your conversations. What in the world does circumspectfully mean? Carefully, diligently, paying attention to what you're doing, being aware of your walk. And in that verse 15 where he says you need to walk circumspectfully, he says, he follows it up saying, not as fools, but as wise. Back here in Verse 2, the reference of walking in love. I believe that it's linked back to those earlier verses in chapter 4 where Paul commands that we don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, the problem being that their minds were set so far away from the things of God. We look at that group of verses from 17 to 19 and he speaks about Gentiles walking in the futility of their minds, their understanding being darkened, they're alienated from the life of God. There is an ignorance that's in them. There's blindness that's in their heart. They're beyond feeling, and they've given themselves over to lewdness and to work all uncleanness with greediness. He goes on to tell them, still in chapter 4, in verses 20 through 24, that they haven't learned Christ that way. They know that that's not what their Christian life is all about that they now need to put off that old man, that old way of thinking, that old way of acting, that old way of responding, that old way of attitudes, and put on the new man, the new man that's led by the Spirit, the one that leads us into a walk of righteousness and holiness. And even still in in verses 25 through 31 of chapter 4, and I know I'm going backwards here, but hopefully it's to help build up what we're going forward to. In verses 25 through 31 of chapter 4, Paul warns us against those actions, those thoughts, those attitudes of the past. Verse 25, he says, Put away lying. Verse 26, he says, Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27, he says, Don't give place to the devil. Verse 28, he says, Stop stealing. Get a job and work to help others in need. Verse 29, he says, Be careful what you say. You need to be one that imparts grace. To the hearers. Verse 30, he says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Beloved, who is he talking to here? Is he talking to the lost? No, he's talking to the church. He's telling the church to stop lying, he's telling the church to quit stealing. He's telling the church to put off that old ways, those old attitudes, the old man, the, the lostness of the actions that you're doing right now. They don't demonstrate the reality of Christ in you. You need to look and understand, no, I am now a new creation in Christ. Old things are Passed away, behold, all things have become new. Well, have they become new? I guess would be the real question that needs to be pushed this morning. Have they really and truly become new? Or is your relationship with Christ simply uh, the repetition of the verbiage on the back of a card or at the close of a service that says, oh, yes, I believe in Jesus? Or does it become simply a chant or a phrase that says, oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I do. I believe in Jesus. How about you? And the other side of the room says, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I trust Jesus. Yes, I do. I believe in Jesus. How about you? Or is it the reality of Christ in you? The very hope of glory. There's actions that you and I need to take. There's there's choices that need to be continually made in the believer's life. As a believer, we need to continually be seeking the Holy Spirit to guide us in making these right choices. We need choices in our life. We need to make the choices in our life that are going to honor God in our lives and that are going to declare His reality to the rest of the world that's around us, that are still in the futility of their minds, that are still wandering in darkness, separated totally from any understanding of who God is. We make these right choices in our lives by being imitators of God. We do it by dancing with the Father. To be an imitator of God means that we need to have that same heart, which which leads to the same actions as God. As His child, we have to continually be demonstrating family characteristics. Are you part of the family of God? Do the family traits show in your life? Last week, my son preached for me here. After his message, more than a couple of folks came up to me and said, Wow, your son is just like you are. And my comment to all that is always, Oh yeah, tall, thin, good looking, and lots of hair. He's just like I am. But I know what they mean. His mannerisms, even the sound of his voice. As a matter of fact, the sound of his voice when he calls uh, my mom, his grandmother, on the phone. We kind of give her a hard time because she can't tell if it's me or him. There are family characteristics. There are family traits that come. Why? Because he's my child. And if we are truly a child of God, there ought to be flowing from us those characteristics that show that. That can't be denied. I love it when somebody comes up to me and says, Wow, you can't deny him as your son. I said, No, neither would I want to. But it also reminds me of the fact of when people look at me, do they see, can they tell who my father is? In order to help us to understand exactly what he's speaking about, Paul speaks about one of the major attributes of God. One of the major attributes of God, love. He tells us that in order to be imitators of God, in order to dance with the Father, we need to walk in love. He gives the attribute and then he goes on to declare us, To us, exactly how that attribute was lived out. He says it was lived out by Christ loving us and giving Himself for us as that absolute and total sacrifice for our sin. And God received this offering, this sacrifice, as a sweet smelling aroma. And then He goes on in verse 3 to drive the issue home even further, to help us to understand without any kind of confusion. In addition to the things that we've already looked at back in chapter 4, Paul continues on with a list of those things that are opposite to the nature of God. Those things which we, as his children, need to flee from, need to depart from, need to put off and put away from us. They are the opposite of the nature of God. They're contrary to the focus of the kingdom of God. And we need to understand that even as these things are listed from from chapter 4 now on into chapter 5, Paul isn't giving us a complete and exhaustive list here. These are simply things, examples, that are contrary to the heart and to the nature of God. So as we look at these things in chapter 4 or chapter 5, if your particular sin or sins aren't listed there, you're not off the hook, okay? Because it all comes back to to the heart of the matter, the nature of the matter. Are we living our lives according to the nature of God, according to the focus of the kingdom of God? And if we're not, they need to be removed from our lives. Look at what he says in verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. When he speaks of fornication there, fornication or immorality... This is a type of inappropriate sexual behavior. In the Old Testament, there was a distinction between adultery and fornication. Adultery dealt with married couples that aren't married with each other and yet are having physical relations. And fornication was for unmarried that were having physical relations outside of marriage. But in the New Testament, fornication includes any kind of sexual activities that are outside of the marriage union of a husband and a wife. And in the pagan culture of of Paul's day, fornication wasn't considered too big of a deal. Nothing much to get concerned about. Kind of look at today's culture. Kind of the same way, isn't it? Oh, he's sleeping with her, she's sleeping with him, or whatever the case may be. Well, we're just going to try this relationship out for a while. We're going to move in together to see if that works out. Beloved, if you're a believer, you are out of bounds. You are definitely wrong in your understanding. That kind of relationship, that kind of life, God calls as a commitment, a union, till death do you part. For God's people, there's a standard of decency. And Paul warns them about that. Remember, he's talking to the church. He's not back in the back alley telling people who are not believers, don't do this. He's talking to the church. He goes on to say this uncleanness. Again, the idea of impurity. Again, it's keeping with the same direction, probably and most likely even sexual perversions. More likely that Paul is is dealing with those that had an impure life of any sort. He speaks of covetousness. And that's this insatiable desire for more. And in particular, the insatiable desire for more at the expense of others. See, I don't, I, don't, I don't really care about you. What I'm concerned about is what I get out of this thing. And it doesn't matter what I do to you in order for me to gain it. See, that's that idea of the greed or the covetousness that comes. Covetousness, greed. They lead to a whole host of other sins. and Paul says that these things aren't even to be mentioned among the saints. And earlier he had told them how this was the life that they used to live. That's the way you used to be outside of Christ. But now in Christ there needs to be this ongoing, this continual character transformation. Still in chapter 5, verse 4, he goes on with the list. He says, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks.
0: Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande, in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to the Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to TheOpenWord.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520 836 9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at the openword.com. That's info at the openword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard the open word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through God's Word. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.